Hey everyone, welcome to Locked On Lakers for Friday. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. Game one of the NBA Finals was Thursday. What could this series tell us about the Lakers? We'll tell you that next. You are Locked On Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks to everybody for making Locked on Lakers first listen of every day, Monday through Friday, no matter how or where you get your podcasts. It's always going to be free. It's never going to be behind a paywall. Locked on Lakers on YouTube is where you can go to see the show, watch the show, and most importantly, participate in a gigantic Lakers conversation that is hopping every single day with over 17,000 subscribers to that channel. Lots of people uh, talking to us, talking to each other, leaving comments and questions. Please do leave Lots of comments, lots of questions. We will be using them uh, throughout the the summertime. Andy and I look every day to find comments or questions that we might be able to use on the show. So please, uh, particularly for the everydayers, uh, you know, it's something that you guys can do to make sure you're part of the show. We really will pull these questions and use them. Um, and if the day goes by, Andy, that uh, maybe we don't use any questions or any comments, it probably means you guys weren't doing your job. So uh, pick it up. Anyway, uh, we're going to get into a few things, including an interesting question I was asked uh, on the radio this week about upside on the Lakers roster and where it might exist. But let's start, Andy, with the NBA Finals. Uh, Thursday was game one. Um, not so much based on like you know who you're rooting for, this, that, and whatever. I personally am pulling for the Nuggets. What do you think this series might actually teach us about where the Lakers stand, you know, in terms of how good they are, you know, how much progress they need to make going in next year. It's, it, it, it's always interesting to kind of look at that and, and, and try to get a, a gauge on your own team by watching other teams. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing truly definitive in the sense that the Lakers were working off a pretty small sample size and what the roster is going to look like next season, we don't entirely know. So depending mm -hmm. how much change happens, the answer could be we learn not a damn thing. But assuming there is some element of continuity, the way Rob Palenka talked about that they would be prioritizing, I think if Miami manages to push Denver to six or seven games, which for what it's worth, I think is very improbable, my official... Prediction for what it's worth is Denver in five. Um, That's kind of where would, I am. Which yeah. would be pretty similar to how the Lakers fared. I think depending on how these how these games ultimately shake out, how competitive they are, you can use that in some ways to be instructive about just where the Lakers stand in, in the landscape of the best teams in the NBA because – to say the least, it was a dramatic change from where the season began to where it finally ended. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of reasons to, I think, be optimistic and look to try to keep this group together. But, you know, small sample size always can make people nervous at times. So if nothing else, I think it gives you something of an instructive measuring stick just to try to figure out, okay, how close are we or even certain elements of the matchup. Like, for example, if you see Miami 
you know, struggle with Nikola Jokic the way the Lakers often struggled with Jokic, and frankly, the entire league. The entire league, with I was about to say, yeah, everyone. But they they have an easier time containing Jamal Murray or preventing Bruce Brown or KCP from going off. That might give you a better idea of, okay, what, what do we need to make sure to do along the wings to fortify ourselves? Are, are the yeah. guys that we have, are they the type of players that we need? If, say, actually those guys run amok even more than they did against the Lakers, it's like, all right, you know what? You, you give Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura and even maybe D'Angelo Russell, Dennis Schroeder, a little more time to play together the coaches a little more time to scheme things out. Maybe you can contain those players better. Yeah, two two things here I think stick out for me. It's like you know you talk about you know aspects of of containing you know the the Nuggets and looking at Murray, looking at KCP, looking at the, the different you know kind of lineup configurations they put out there. It's it's always one of those questions of how much does is Denver going to be one of those teams that 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 the league respects enough. If Denver blows Miami's doors off and they win this game and they win this series in four, five, you know, a relatively easy six, whatever it might be, um, is Denver going to be one of those teams a team that the league respects enough to say, okay, we need to figure out how to make up the gap and match up against them? There's, you know, different teams do that. You know, when the Warriors the Warriors did that, for example, like the 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 peak Warriors teams, like team the rest of the league started to think, how do we match up with that? What can we do to beat that? Because that is the official gold standard of where we are. I don't know if Denver's is, is gonna do that or not. Um, just if, if they have quite that reputation. But the other thing that sticks out to me, and this is where I think it becomes really kind of important, is like, okay, even if you grant the Lakers are a step or two behind Denver. Even if you think it's going to be hard for them to make up that gap in one off season, you I think talked about this on on Thursday. What what happens? You know, Jamal Murray knock on what doesn't happen, but you know, Michael Porter or Nikola Jokic, like the front the front. It's never easy for the front runner. Devon goes into the season next year as the front runner. It's never easy. Somebody gets hurt, uh, turns an ankle at the wrong time, a knee injury keeps you out six weeks, and that happens to cover the first couple rounds of the playoffs. When this kind of thing happens all the time, and you know, just ask Phoenix who advanced to the finals a couple years ago after Anthony Davis gets hurt. Where do the Lakers st- stack up relative to the rest of the teams chasing Denver? That's the part that I think is really tricky. And, you know, are they right there with Miami who beat Boston and kind of a Phoenix team that has a lot of work to do or whatever? Because at the very least, I think what the Lakers would want to do this summer, and tell me if you disagree, is separate themselves as much as possible from that next group. So you have Denver. Let's say you go into Denver. Put Milwaukee back in there next year. Just, you know, things have gone how much can the Lakers put themselves right at the top of that next tier of teams that you don't have to squint very hard and don't need much of a break to, to be right there with, with the best teams. That's what I'm really interested in. Well, I mean, I think it depends to some degree on how much you believe in a core of LeBron, AD, Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura, D'Angelo Russell, if he's still here, Dennis Schroeder, if they find a way to retain him, like the players who mattered the most for this team Mm -hmm. in the playoff run, how much do you believe in them? with the benefit of a training camp and the coaching staff really 
being able to implement counters and counters to the counters and the type of plays that they keep in their back pocket until the playoffs and really, really have the ability to try to put another team on their toes. But it also, I think, to some degree matters what you really think about these other teams in the West, what they're able to do, like Memphis, for example. They went through a lot of turmoil over the last few months of the regular season between everything going on with John Morant, the injuries to Steven Adams and Brandon Clark, who the latter could be missing sometime next right. season. It took, well. it took a team it took a team that looked like a, a, a good bet for the conference finals and had them out in the first round. Right, and all the stuff going on with Dylan Brooks, who in all likelihood is not going to be on the Grizzlies next year, was, was them getting upset in the first round more indicative of them having already peaked or them being brought down by turmoil that won't resurface next season. You know, Golden State, it's been well documented by now that the punch heard around the world with Draymond Green and Jordan Poole, that had a ripple effect for the season. It's not the only thing because you can see the effects of aging on Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, the younger players that they were hoping they could help them win now, win later. Clearly, that plan really has not played out. So how much of what we saw last year was a lot of you know, outside issues with Golden State versus just this group has gone as far as it possibly can? Mm-hmm. I mean, the 2022 title for Golden State took a lot of people by surprise, certainly took me by surprise. I will say right now, if Phoenix does not put a better support system around Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, they're not going to be very no, good. No, and I think that, I think they'll be able to build some of that out, but it's going to be harder. I think the, the expectation is that they'll just be able to do it, except they don't have a lot of tools. Right, and a guy like Corey Craig is going to be hard to hold on to, like valuable players like that. That's my point, because mm-hmm. you'll recall my immediate reaction when they made the deal for Kevin Durant was, I don't think they're very good. I think they yeah. have two really good players. You know, can... Even a team like the Pelicans, can they actually stay healthy? Yeah. Because when they've been healthy, they're really, really good. You know, can Sacramento take another step forward? But the point being, though, none of these teams that we saw, at least over the last couple months of the of the regular season with the Western Conference, none of them really struck me as better than the Lakers. Yeah. Like, not it, significantly better. No. It, one of the things that kind of gets to that is 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 this you know you talk about how much confidence you have in the core. I was asked an interesting question uh, this week doing uh, radio in LA about upside on the roster and where it exists, uh, particularly you know obviously with the talking about the the younger players on the roster. And it, I answered the question in the way that I think most people would, but the answer to the question gets to a lot of the the issues that the Lakers have, I think, around how to build a roster and the kinds of supporting players that they currently have. So we'll do that next. Locked on Lakers is brought to you by FanDuel, and you need to make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs. Right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That is $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. And just... Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It is safe, it's secure, it's really easy to use, 
And you can bet on everything from the money line to the top point scorers or get a little saucy with an exclusive bet like the two-by-three, two three-pointers scored in the first three minutes. And FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same-game parlay. Again, this is a safe, secure app. You get paid instantly. There is no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. So make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Okay, so I mentioned the uh, the the question of upside. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. I do want to take this opportunity, Andy. Thursday night, I believe, was the uh, the kickoff the of the Scripps Howard Spelling Bee Finals. Uh, a lot of people talking about spe- spelling is taking the country by storm. This thing has become a really huge deal. I know, Andy, you love spelling. It does not give you uh, anxiety in the slightest. So I thought we could have a little bit of fun uh, with a Lakers spelling bee. These are all players that we have covered. I want you, I'm going to give you the name, and I want you to spell the player that I mentioned. First, uh, we'll go with here, Andrew Goudlock, or as our friend Mike Brown used to call him, Good luck. He <laughs> did. He luck. always called him good luck. Uh, A-N-D-R-E-W. Got, oh, uh, if you misspelled Andrew, <laughs> I would have been really disappointed. I'm in trying you. to take the freebies where I can. <laughs> I believe that's G-O-U-D-E-L-O-C-K. Yes, and then you say Godlock at the end. Andrew Godlock. That's exactly well, I, right. There was a brief we moment where people thought that Andrew Godlock was going to be a, 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 a real diamond. Yeah, in the rough. Um, it turned out he was just kind of rough. Good for him, yeah. though. For he had, he had turtle posture. <laughs> he did. <laughs> we really liked him. We covered him. We actually, he was a good kid. Good but. kid, and like you know, managed to you know have a, a couple moments in the NBA, which is more than most people can say. All right, so I'll drop a couple more uh, names on you over the course of the of, of the show if we can. Um, the question I was asked was which player, uh, meaning the young guys, really specifically has the most upside. Um, our friend Roger Lodge. Uh, does a AM eight thirty in Orange County ask me this question? The answer I gave him was um, Austin Reeves, and I think really your choices here are Austin Reeves or um, Rui Hachimura, I suppose. And you know, to me, I picked Reeves because I think you know we saw this jump from him um, when he went in the starting lineup and, you know, averaging, you know, 17 points and whatever it is with the assists and the three point shooting around 40% and getting the line at really an elite level, um, versatility as a defender, all this other stuff. And while he is not a baby by NBA standards, he's not old either. Um, and with more playing time with more confidence, I think could make a little bit more of a leap. But what struck me about it is the answer on with the with the Lakers, there's nobody that you look at as like a star in the making, a young prospect that you would hold on to because you expect him to become one of your, you know, elite all-star franchise type players. You know, there's no young Jason Tatum or Brandon Ingram or Lonzo Ball or these guys that the Lakers had drafted to become stars in the NBA. And so when you look at their young, the the quote unquote young core. They really are built, I think, Andy, to support the older stars. It's not a young group of guys that you're counting on to become your star players of the future. And that struck me as a little different than like kind of if you look at young young players and young prospects and young you know and that around the league. Yeah, I mean, it is worth noting that 
as the season went along, Austin Reeves started putting up numbers that, if nothing else, are all-star caliber. You know, I'm not saying he'll end up being an all-star because a lot of that, you know, comes down to the fan vote and it, it can be complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, there are guys who play at all-star levels for years and never end up making the team. But in 15 games in March, he averaged 17 points a game, almost six assists, uh, with 38% shooting from the field, 55, I mean, 38% shooting from behind the arc, 55 from the field. In April, five games, small sample size, but it was a continuation. 61% from the field, 52% from behind the arc, 20 points, five and a half assists. And we saw the numbers that he was putting up in the playoffs. He joined some pretty elite company in terms of like five straight games with 20 points or more. So there is a trajectory with Austin Reeves where maybe he still seems like he is in support of LeBron and AD for a little while just because he has not achieved at the level of LeBron or AD, but he may be producing at a level that feels above that station mm-hmm. just in terms of a very generic. So would you, you agree, you would agree that he, if you had to pick a guy, you know, the, the young player, assuming they, you know, everybody, you know, Hachimura is back, all these guys, that that Reeves is the answer to that question? Yeah, because for the time being, Reeves is the best all-around player they have. Like, Rui is very tantalizing in the sense that we saw him play at an extremely high level with the Lakers, and he seemed to have had some things unlocked with him in L.A., whether you're talking – whether it's because he just needed a new environment, new atmosphere, whether you can give a lot of credit in a hurry to Phil Handy, who is known as the best in the league when it comes to player development, whether you want to give mm. some credit to LeBron being in his ear and for Rui saying to LeBron, give me information, give me feedback. Like By all accounts, Rui was really, really asking LeBron, how can I go about being better? What can I do to make your life easier. Rui, though, is, I think, more unique than Austin Reeves, if maybe not as well-rounded. Like, there are not a lot of players at Rui's size with as with his athleticism who can create their own shot. I, I actually think that there are... F- I think there are fewer. And and in basketball, bigger is often better. And Rui is I, I a guess. bigger, I, stronger I, I, guy than Austin. He's a bigger, stronger guy than Austin Reeves. There's no question about that. But I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would call him a more unique. You know, maybe I guess to, you know. I think that, he is yeah. more unique. I didn't say he's better. I said he's more unique. If for no reason, then there's nothing particularly unique about Austin Reeves. Oh, I disagree. I think the I think the, the that level of versatility, that ability to get to the free throw line. You know, the you know, the, the, if we start stacking up the skill set, I think that is not something that is found necessarily I, I will say this the one thing that i think is pretty uncommon about hachimura that i will say you just don't see that much of is his comfort level as a mid-range shooter um that is something that and this is i think an important aspect of like you know we talk about context a lot with with role players and why certain guys you fit him in certain places with certain roles make a difference like Hachimura has value to the Lakers because you know, like you say he can create his own shot but it's also the kind of shot that he can go get um and I think you know from that aspect of it I, I could see what you're talking about um 
But he's definitely not better. I, I think I, that part I, I, I'm not trying better. to make the case that he's better. I'm sure. Again, unique doesn't always mean better. It just means unique. Okay, but I'm not sure of that. Well, then what's the? Let me ask you this: What's the value then? If he's not better, whether it's then Austin Reeves, whether it's other player, sort of stock player X, what is the value in your mind of unique? That it's just harder to replicate. It can make him a difficult matchup. Uh, I think I think Rui, when he's really going, can be very difficult to guard because because of his size and his quickness and the spots where he looks for a shot on the floor, where a lot of times teams are trained not to really look to guard those spots to begin with. Those are the spots mm -hmm. that you're often looking to give up. It's one of the reasons why I think the season Phoenix went to the finals in 2021, they were a really counterintuitive team because with Chris Paul, Devin Booker, even campaign, you had a bunch of guys who were just thriving in the mid range and teams are not used to actually having to guard that area. So that's just off the top of my head, one. Yeah, that's right. But like I said, I didn't want to... I, I mean, I don't want to get too bogged down. No, but, I, but it, what I'm you're talking about, the, but like you Austin's need... better. No, but that's, it's not... A, but that wasn't what even what I wanted to clarify or understand a little bit better is, you know, better... It can be better, but like you say, unique might have its own I, value. And to I that think point, Austin has well, the to, Hold on to this. And to that point, there is something about Rui and what you're talking about in his particular skill set that I'm not sure we've seen enough of it. Um, and we talked earlier this week about, I think there certainly is the potential for him to be a little bit overvalued, but um, I can point to something that maybe speaks to what you're saying uh, and his long-term value and the, the, the specificity on how it might be used. And we'll get to that next. Okay, Andy, uh, in honor of the of the spelling bee, you got Andrew Goudlock. I'm going to raise the level on you a little bit more. Uh, you remember our old friend Svi Mihailik? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Can you spell you didn't even Svi Mihailik? I don't even think it's Mihailik. Isn't it Mihailik? Either one. Well, spell either name. I either know. guy. S-V-I. Yes. Um, <laughs> M Y K I L U Y C K. Now you're off to a strong start. It's uh, Svi. You got the S V I M Y K H A I L I U K. That's a toughie. Mikhailik. Yeah, <laughs> that's a stinger right there. It is. Stanislav Medvedenko. Oh, don't. That, that's <laughs> insulting. You know, people oftentimes put A's in the Medvedenko part. It's all E's, people. That's no, the thing it was actually. And he is the goat of all goats, but Chick Hearn could not say Medvedenko to save his life. He, no, he would always call him Medvedenko, I think. Medvedenko, yes. Yeah. It was Medvedenko. It's an easy mistake to make. Um, so people have been... Um, I, like I said, I, 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 we've we talked about it. We will continue to talk about it. Um, the the relative sort of perception of um, D'Angelo Russell going into a contract and Rui Hachimura going into a contract. Um, and I've seen a lot of people say that, um, you know, Rui is worth, you know, 18 million, 20 million, but it would be insane to pay D'Lo that amount of money. I disagree. Um, I think D'Lo is a better player. But either way, one of the things, if you're looking for 
that kind of uniqueness or ways in which a certain player has a value in a certain context. The playoffs obviously matters. It's one of the reasons people are so down on Russell. And if you want to look at Hachimura as a guy who maybe has different value in the regular season or something, but for whatever reason, his skill set becomes very useful in the postseason. This postseason was obviously a good one for him. Shot um, almost 56%, including nearly 50% from three-point range. But his five games in Washington, which were not consequential in any other way other than, I guess, conversations like this, he was great in the one series he played with the Wizards. So there is at least the possibility that what Rui does works really well in the postseason and can be leveraged better in the postseason, whereas a guy like D'Angelo Russell becomes more vulnerable based on his skill set, even if Russell might actually be a more valuable regular season player, if you want to make that argument. I mean, look, D'Angelo Russell alluded to this, or frankly, was pretty open about the idea that there are certain things as a player he's never going to do. You know, he's never going to be able to become quick enough to break anybody he wants off the dribble, you know, in on an island. That's like, that's not how he plays. He's never going to be super athletic. He's never going to be super fast. You know, he even said, I, I he doesn't expect to become equally adept going right as he is going left. And as much as I, I can tell you from seeing feedback on the Locked on Lakers YouTube channel comment section, it's not the greatest thing to say after a series where, frankly, you crap the bed. I'm not going to get any better. Not much for me to work on. <laughs> like, like I, I don't think it's, it's. It's. I don't think that's necessarily what he meant, but that's what it sounds like. It, it is what it sounded like. Um, he probably should have. He probably should have focus grouped uh, the things that he planned to say before actually putting them in front of an audience. It, it's not the time to present yourself as, you know, both showed up as a player and in his words, nice. But there is some truth to the idea that there are things that it doesn't matter how hard D'Angelo Russell works at. There are physical limitations that will get in the way. Yes. And the reason, I, the reason I bring this up is because whatever limitations you have as a player can become more exposed over the course of a series where the best coaches in the league have the ability to just game plan, game plan, scout, 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 and pick apart your weaknesses and look to really pinpoint and focus on those weaknesses. So in the case of Rui, it might be that his skill set becomes either more difficult to take away or more difficult to match up against. So it allows him to thrive, like even as you said, playing with the Wizards, where frankly nobody ever thrives. Right. Well, I mean, like, is he going to shoot fifty percent for his career from three point range? Probably not. Certain thing, but at the very, I mean, what it certainly means is he's a person who is very confident playing in the playoffs. I mean, I we we've covered a lot of different sports and a lot of different athletes, and to some degree, the ability to be clutch, the ability to be a a playoff performer, a fourth quarter guy, whatever it is, it's not so much that like guys get 
better. I mean, some some guys the the moment really locks them in. Jamal and, Murray, Jamal Murray, Jimmy Butler, those are great playoff guys. Right? Something they, about something about the moment, like they, they become Fisher, more Robert Ory. more precise. They they the you know they are their attention to detail goes up. They, but for a lot of for a lot of people, it's but not getting worse. It's not allowing the gravity of the moment to change how you play, how it impact you in a negative way to get you a little bit hesitant, to make you tighter, to make it because you know, so if you can stay the same in game seven as you are in every other game, that that puts you ahead of a lot of dudes. You know, okay. it may not put you ahead of the guy who uses that thing and sudden some somehow channels that to become the best version of themselves. But if you can just stay who you are and not freak out by the by the gravity of the playoffs. And maybe that's what Rui is. And I don't think Russell freaks out. I don't think I don't think, you know, but I'm sure there were some confidence things creeping in. And it's just that his vulnerabilities become easier to target in a series where every single detail is accounted for in ways that it's just not in the regular season. D'Lo looked like a guy that as the Denver series went along was getting inside his own head. I mean, D'Lo is a guy that whether you like him or not, he plays with a hell of a lot of swagger. And there are, there are people who think that he plays yeah. with more swagger than he's earned. But mm -hmm. either way, D'Lo is a guy that drips of confidence while he plays. And that confidence was dissipating as the Denver series went along. I want to make sure. That, leaking confidence. <laughs> yes. One guy, though, that I want to make sure that we mention when it comes to upside and, and potential with this team, because I think it matters, and he's going to get lost in the conversation of bigger names and bigger salaries, mm -hmm. Max Christie. Yeah. Max Christie's potential, which I think is real, and in the first half where he had – more opportunities, whether out of necessity or the coaching staff seeing what they liked or a little bit of both. I think he showed real flashes of a 3 and D player with very good instincts on both sides of the ball. He's another guy that, you know, he looked raw at times, but he did not look scared of anything. Max Christie, I thought, looked very confident when he was on the floor, which really stood out to me because his summer league was quite frankly disastrous. Oh, it's horrible. It's he looked horrible. he looked awful. Like even yeah. by the standards of 19 second round one and done, you're watching him in the summer league going like has this guy actually played basketball? And the amount mm -hmm. of improvement that he showed between summer league and through say January, which is basically around when he stopped playing. I think it's very important that he takes a step forward this upcoming season, A, because they need depth, B, because 3 and D wings, you know, with his type of, I, I think with his type of build and length and all that stuff, they can be difficult to come by. And if they can manage to grow one of their own, he's going to have an opportunity next season. I, I It's just worth mentioning how much he actually matters in this conversation. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, let's let's look at the three guys we talked about and, and we'll quit here. But like the Reeves has a chance to, I think, a sort of ascend in the sense too that he can he continue to do what he does as a starter uh, and then going into the playoffs 
on a day in day out basis and whatever. And like that turns him into a, an extremely valuable player. You know, that sort of all-star adjacent level, you know, really, really high end, um, non all-star in ways that, that can really elevate a team. Hachimura, for example, you know, averaged 13 points, six rebounds, uh, in in April, shot fifty four percent. Can he do that? He's had months like that throughout his career. You know, you know. In March, he averaged eight points and three and a half rebounds and shot forty seven percent or forty eight percent, I should say. You know, like can Hachimura be April Hachimura or playoffs Hachimura for eight six out of every ten games, eight out of every ten games over a course of an entire season? on a good team that's depending on him. I think that is a level of ascension that will, you know, that people will look at as more significant. But like you say, and we'll quit here, if Christie can go from a guy who you play in an emergency to a guy who is a core member of, you know, ninth guy in your rotation, that's incredibly valuable because you they may not have access to a lot of guys who can be the eighth ninth tenth guys in that's like a trade that's like honestly a I, trade I, I think really i'd be i'd be looking more ninth eighth as opposed to ninth tenth i, I just think it's really like, important sure but i'm saying if he can if he can reach that point where every game you play you play in the regular season you go nine or ten deep most nights if every game that they play next year, Max Christie is a dependable member of that rotation, it's like they've acquired a player in a yep. trade without having to give anyone up. Yep. And so that's a it's a it's a good point that you're making. Um, Locked on Lakers on YouTube is where you can go to see the show, hang out with a bunch of Lakers uh, fans and enthusiasts. Again, please leave us questions. Please leave us comments. We will be using them throughout the offseason. Uh, everybody have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday.